Well, it's great to be with you this morning. This is a special morning. It feels like my birthday or something. Uh, all kinds of good things going on. Met lots of visitors this morning. Welcome, you guys. We're really thrilled that you're with us this morning, but um, I am most excited about the fact that my grandson James is here. Um, necessarily, he brought along his mom and dad, Jonathan and Alyssa, as well. It's good to see them also, but it's great to have James here. And the Imagers are in the house, so it's great to have them here as well. Um, it increased the number of bow ties by three from the Imager families and one from James, so I'm feeling more and more like I'm among my people this morning, so that's great as well. Uh, I want to give a Project 9K update. That's our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park. So far to date, we have read 2,964 books of the Bible. And the reason that we have a Bible reading challenge is that we are people of the Word. Not only people of Jesus Christ, but people who believe in the transforming power of God's written Word, of the Bible, of Scripture. So we encourage everybody to regularly read and study their Bible. So we have things like the challenge. We have things like Bible classes. We continually encourage each other to be immersed in God's Word. Also, I want you to know something about us. We are people who believe very deeply in the, pra- in the power of prayer. We believe prayer is powerful and effective. So we are praying people. We pray for each other. We pray for people that we don't even know that we just hear about. We pray about things that are going on in our world, and we would love to pray for you. If you have something going on in your life or in the life of someone that you know and love, and you would like for us to pray about that situation, we'd like for you to reach in front of you and pull out one of these green prayer request cards Fill out your prayer request and then drop it in one of our collection boxes and we will honor your request. You can find two collection boxes at the very back of the auditorium. You can find another one through these double doors. Usually on Mondays, I send out those prayer requests to almost 400 different email addresses. So there are people waiting to to lift you up in prayer. So please take advantage of that. I also want you to know about this church is that we are a baptizing church. We believe in the power of baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we join with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we rise up as new creatures clothed with Jesus Christ. So if you believe that Jesus is the Lord and you have not been baptized, we would love to have a conversation with you about baptism. In order to have that conversation, we can use the same green card. If you would just fill out on the back where it says next steps, Fill out your contact information, check the box that says, I would like to talk to a minister or an elder about baptism, and we will contact you. We'll have that conversation, and we'll answer any questions that you might have about the power of baptism. Finally, we want you to know that we believe in the power of the collective church, in the power of the local church. We believe that together we are much stronger than we are apart. We believe it's important for us to meet together regularly, to be involved in each other's lives, to put ourselves under the leadership of an eldership so that we can serve together and worship together and spread God's word together. So if you've been attending Netherwood for a while and you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this church family, we'd really like for you to do that. You can use this same card. Again, fill out your contact information. This time, check the box that says, I would like to talk to a minister or an elder about being a part of this church family. Drop it in one of those collection boxes, and we'll talk to you about that. We'll have that conversation, and we'll look forward to welcoming you to a part of the Netherwood Park family. So whatever you need to let us know, won't you use this card and let us know 
today. Well, we have reached the next to last week in our sermon series that we have called Jesus Asks. Each week during this series, we are taking a question that Jesus asked back then, asked different people back then, and we're bringing those questions forward. We're bringing them forward to hear Jesus ask us those questions now. We're working to make Jesus' questions personal to us and relevant to us today. And today, we're going to hear Jesus ask us, like he asked his disciples then, do you understand what I have done for you? But before we ask that question, let's pray together. Father, we come before you recognizing you as our creator, Father, as our sustainer, our redeemer, as our loving father. And Father, even though we intellectually know all of those things about you, sometimes we still lose sight of what you have done for us. So my prayer this morning, Father, is that you'll open our eyes and you'll open our hearts and you'll open our minds to who you are and what you have done for us. And Father, as we realize that, as we recognize who you are and what you have done for us, Father, lead us to respond to you in loving obedience and in reverent worship. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to start out in John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13 is one of the best-known chapters in the entire Bible. And in John chapter 13, John relates one of my very favorite scenes from the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows that the end is near. And he's having dinner with his disciples. And as John tells us in verse 1 of chapter 13, Jesus decided to show them the full extent of his love. And he showed the full extent of his love this way, verse 4. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And then in verse 12, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he asked them this question. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? And Jesus doesn't, ask, doesn't wait for an answer to his question. This is a rhetorical question. But I think it's safe to say that his disciples have a limited understanding of what Jesus has just done for them. And so Jesus begins to explain what he has just done for them. Verse 13, he says, You call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you understand what I have done for you? 
I, your Lord and teacher, took the place of the lowliest servant and I washed your feet and I did that as an example for you. I, your Lord and teacher, did this so that you'll now go and do this for others. And now that you know what you should do, you'll be blessed if you will actually go and do this for others. Do you understand what I have done for you? But still, I think the answer is no. Not really. Not fully. See, the apostles didn't fully understand what Jesus had done for them. And the reason that they didn't fully understand what he had done for them is because they didn't fully understand who he was. And of course, Jesus knew this. In fact, he answered Peter's resistance to having his feet washed this way back in verse 7. Jesus said to Peter, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Yes, Peter and the other disciples called Jesus teacher and they called him Lord, but they didn't fully understand, they didn't fully grasp that Jesus was the Lord. They didn't understand. They probably couldn't understand that the one with a basin of water and a towel wrapped around his waist was the Messiah. They didn't understand that the one down on his knees was Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't understand that the one who had taken the servant's spot was the very divine son of God. Because they didn't fully understand who he was, they couldn't fully understand what Jesus had done for them. They didn't understand who he was and what he had done. I'm convinced if they had fully understand, understood who Jesus was, if they had fully understood what he was doing for them, there wouldn't have been a betrayal, there wouldn't have been a denial. They wouldn't have scattered when Jesus was arrested and led away. Do you understand what I have done for you? The answer is no. Full understanding didn't come until after the cross. It didn't come until after Jesus was resurrected. You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Do you understand what I have done for you? And this isn't a new question. In fact, a great way to approach the Bible is to see the Bible, God's written word, as God's response to people who don't seem to fully understand what he has done for them. Much of the Bible, in fact, most of the Bible, can be read as a reminder from God to his people of what he has done for them. A reminder to people who don't fully understand. In the Bible, over and over again, we hear God reminding people who don't understand. Who don't understand what he has done for them. And we hear God reminding forgetful people about what he has done for them. We hear God reminding people who don't fully understand what he's done for them because they don't seem to know who he is. 
They quickly forget who he is. So we're going to spend some time this morning moving quickly through the Bible. And we're going to hear some examples and hear God remind his people of who he is and what he has done for them. So that he can remind us of who he is and what he's done for us. We're going to start with Moses. Israel was about to make their home, their move into the promised land. And Moses brings all the people together and he stands before them. And instead of giving them this rousing Newt Rockney type speech about let's go in and let's conquer those people. Instead, what Moses does is he reminds them of what God has done for them. In effect, Moses says, do you understand what he has done for you? And then he reminds them, he rehearses what God has done for them so they won't forget who God is. And as Moses nears the end of his review of what God has done for them, how he's worked powerfully in their lives, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. He says, be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen. Or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. And teach them to your children and to their children after them. Be careful. Watch yourselves. Don't let the memories of what God has done for you slip from your heart. Not for as long as you live. And teach those memories to your children and your children's children so they too will understand what God has done for them. Well then from Moses we move quickly on to Joshua. Israel has accomplished what God wanted them to accomplish. They have taken over the promised land. They have conquered the occupying nations. And so Joshua once more calls all the people together. Not for a self-congratulatory time and celebration for what they have accomplished, but to remind them that it is God who has brought them from being slaves in a strange land to being a mighty nation in the promised land, their own land. And so God speaks through Joshua. And in effect, he asks Israel, do you understand what I have done for you? Joshua 24 Verse 12, God says, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove the nations out before you. You did not do this with your own sword and bow. So I gave you the land on which you did not toil, and I gave you cities that you did not build, and you live in them, and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Do you understand what I have done for you? And Israel seems to have understood what God did for them at this time. And they worshipped God and they obeyed God. Well, they worshipped God and they obeyed God for a generation. But then from Joshua, we move on to a really depressing part of the Bible. We move to the beginning of a depressingly familiar cycle in the history of God's people. It's a cycle of God's people forgetting and then God reminding them. And the people forgetting and then God reminding them. And the people forgetting and you get the idea. It's rinse, repeat. It's over and over again. 
And that cycle begins with the judges. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, we read this. After that generation, they're talking about the generation of Joshua. After that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up. And that generation neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served other gods. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around who they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And they were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned away from the Lord, from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. And the book of Judges is all about that cycle. Israel forgets God and they forget what he has done for them. And they turn to foreign gods. And God turns them over to their enemies. And in their distress, Israel turns back to God. God lifts up a leader, a judge who rescues them in their great distress. And then the judge dies. And Israel forgets God. And they forget what he's done for them and they turn to foreign gods and its rents repeat over and over again. And eventually Israel demands a king from God. And God gives them kings. First it's King Saul and then it's the glory days of David and Solomon. But it's during Solomon's reign that we see the first signs of that depressing cycle returning once again. That depressing, familiar cycle of forgetting and reminding and forgetting and reminding. When Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel is divided. It's Israel to the north, it's Judah to the south. And because the kings and the people repeatedly forget God and forget what he has done for them, because they chase after other gods, foreign gods, God raises up prophets And the prophets come to remind the people and remind their kings of who God is. And remind them of what God has done for them. And also warn them of what God is going to do to them. If they don't remember. If they don't serve. If they don't worship their God. I could give you a lot of examples, but I'm just going to give you one example of a prophet As he speaks to the people for God. It's Micah chapter 6 and verse 3. God speaking through Micah says, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. 
My people, remember. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Bor, answered. Remember. Remember your journey. Your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Do you understand what I have done for you? Sadly, the answer was no. You know, even Israel's songbook, the book of Psalms, was the song, the book that was meant to be sung and recited and memorized in place to help people remember. It's put in place to help people remember who God is and help them understand what he has done for them. The 78th Psalm is a very long psalm that basically recounts the history of Israel. And Psalm 78 begins this way. It says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard, what we have known, what our fathers have told us. And we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. We'll tell them about his power and the wonders he has done. Now the psalmist reminded Israel of who God is and what he has done for them. But tragically, God's people quit singing God's songs. So first Israel and then Judah were conquered. Israel never to be heard from again. And Judah was hauled off into captivity in Babylon. But God didn't stop being who he is. And as he promised his people through the prophets, he brought a remnant of his people back to their land. Back to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, restore worship the way that God always intended for it to be. Now, God didn't stop being who he is. And he also didn't stop reminding the people of what he had done for them. In your Bibles, you'll see the books of First and Second Chronicles. Those are books, they're documents that were written at this time as God's people, as the remnant, are coming back to Jerusalem. The chronicles were written to remind the people of who their God is, to remind them of what he has done for them. God wasn't through doing for his people. So there's this time of silence in our Bibles. From the time that the people come back to Jerusalem and the time that the gospel accounts open up. Some 500 years after these chronicles were written, talking about what God has done for his people and who God is. God showed that he wasn't through doing for his people. For God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And our question is, do we understand what he has done for us? So Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they recorded the events of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And they recorded those so that we as Christians, so that we will know 
and we will remember and we will understand what God has done for us so that we'll know who God is by coming to know his son. And so we'll remember and understand what he has done for us through his son's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Luke said it this way at the beginning of his gospel account. He said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And therefore, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Why did God make sure that we have these gospel accounts? He made sure that we would have these accounts so that we would understand who he is and understand what he has done for us. But you know, that old cycle dies really hard, doesn't it? That old cycle of forgetting and needing to be reminded dies hard. And we see that in our Bibles. We have letters in our Bibles that Paul and Peter wrote to the Christians of their day and also wrote to us now. Letters that were written to people who are prone to repeat that cycle of forgetting our God and forgetting what he has done for us. In effect, Paul and Peter in their letters over and over again ask their readers then and ask us now, do you understand who God is? Do you understand what he has done for you? And God has blessed us with these beautiful reminders in these letters of who he is and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. For example, Paul in his Colossian letter wrote this. He said, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. His blood that was shed on the cross. Do you understand who he is? Do you understand what he has done for you? Let me ask you a question. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to worship services? Why are you here today? I'm sure we could come up with lots of reasons for why we're here. Most of them probably very good reasons and maybe some very bad reasons. But even if they're bad reasons, I'm glad you're here. But let me tell you one reason why God calls us here. Why he calls us here every Sunday. 
He calls us here every Sunday because we are forgetful people. He calls us here because we're prone to repeat that old cycle of forgetting and needing reminding. One of the reasons why God calls us here is to remind us of who he is and to remind us of what he has done for us. I want you to think about the worship service that we've been engaged in so far today. And I want you to think that that all of those things that we've done in many ways are given to us as a people and as a church to remind us of who he is and to help us understand what he has done for us. We took communion together. And as we took communion together, we remembered that God loved us enough to send his son. And we remember that Jesus gave us his body and gave us his blood so that we could have life in him and through him. As we gather around the communion table, God is asking us, do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I have done for you? And we've been singing songs. And we've been singing those songs to God, but we've also been singing those songs to each other. And we sing those songs to each other because they help remind us. They help us remember who God is. What he's done for us. At places like the old rugged cross. And we spend time reading scriptures, reading from God's word, so that God, through his writers, through his prophets, through other faithful people, can remind us. Remind us through Moses and remind us through Jeremiah. Remind us through the judges. Remind us through the prophets. Remind us through the psalmists. Remind us through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and James and Peter and Paul. So God can remind us of who he is. And remind us of what he has done for us. And here in a little while we're going to have Bible classes. From our littlest kids to our oldest members. In those Bible classes we'll be teaching from God's word. And we'll be teaching from God's word to help us better understand who God is. And what he has done for us. And as we lift our voices up in prayer, we're reminded that God is. That God is present and that God is listening and God is still doing for us. In our prayers, we're reminded of who God is and what he is still doing for us. And when we confess our sins and when we receive God's forgiveness... It's in that moment that we truly understand that our God is still working for us and still calling us back to him. And when we're immersed in the waters of baptism, when we join with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that is perhaps the greatest reminder of who God is. And what he has done for us. He is our God whose love sent Jesus Christ to die for sinners like us. 
do you understand what I have done for you? And if we do understand, even if we don't fully understand, if we do understand what he's done for us, then we'll be people who do what he asked of us. We'll respond to him in love, and we'll respond to him in loving obedience. We'll love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul. And we'll lovingly serve others like he lovingly served us. Just like Jesus got up from the table, he took a towel and a basin and washed his disciples' feet. And he asked them then, do you understand what I have done for you? And today I want you to hear him asking you, do you understand what I have done for you? And the final question for you is, how are you going to respond to who God is and what he has done for you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you willingly confessing that we don't fully understand. Because, Father, what you have done for us is beyond our comprehension. Father, we don't understand how you could love us that much. We don't understand how Jesus could love us that much. But our prayer, Father, is that you will open our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we can more fully understand what you have done for us. And Father, we thank you for giving us these reminders of who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for calling us together as a church family. Thank you for calling us to your table. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Father, thank you for these songs that you've given us that we can lift our voices up and remind each other of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, thank you for baptism. Father, thank you for calling us to Jesus Christ so that we can join with him in death and burial and resurrection so that you can raise us up as new people clothed with Jesus Christ. Father, help us to always respond to who you are and what you have done to us in obedience and in worship. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So this morning, let's end by responding to who God is and what he has done for us. Let's respond in worship. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship our God.